I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. Here we are. And I was just wondering if maybe there's a topic that you'd like to talk about. It seems like a topic that just comes straight back. Like me and my friend also talked a little bit about today. And this is the... the um, uh, the, the whole um, taboo you say taboo yeah uh, regarding uh, death okay especially around here that it's very understandable if someone is in great pain because they have have an illness or if they, they are very old then everyone kind of more easily accept that they want to to die but if if there's young people who feel like i'm done i have nothing to do here uh and yeah because we talked about being a burden that seems like nobody wants to be a burden um and then but then if you feel like there's nothing for you to do here or you're not excited about being here. And if you 
are not able to, or you're not allowed to leave uh, your body without help, then people do crazy stuff, you know? Or very painfully, you can find your child hanging from the ceiling or um, people get into, you know, addictions because they just have to spend their time doing something. Right. Until the day they die. And I think if, if it was more normalized that there is an option that if people, you know, are somewhat sane and they are really honest about that they don't want to be here, that it can be a conversation, first of all, and that there's not this trying to convince them to stay alive because being alive is so much better than dying. So, yeah, I think it would be very healthy if this were an open topic, you know, and in my mind, it just seems so much more healthy because I know there's so many people out there who struggle with these thoughts and when they're not allowed to talk about it because as soon as they talk about them, people get worried and they don't want to worry people so they keep it to themselves. But, you know, when you keep something to yourself, it just becomes something that is not quite real. It gets very toxic and muddy. But if people could you know, on the openly just without a problem say, you know, I don't want to be here or I don't have a direction because I think most of the people then will find some kind of clarity or direction. Or even if it were, if it was legal and not a taboo to say, okay, I, I don't want to live anymore, I want to die. And then you set a date and when you get close to that date, you will be very certain if you want to continue on. Don't you think? I think. Yes. So then either you stay with your choice and say, no, yeah, two days from now is my death and I still want to go that road. Or you say like, Oh, no, 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 no. This was a big mistake. I want to live. And now I know what I want to do. I really want to, you know, ride horses or whatever. So a long time ago when I was living in New Mexico with Ram Dass and Stephen Levine, we had a hotline where people from around the country could call in about dying or grieving or physical illness life-threatening illness. And a whole bunch of people called in saying often they had an illness and they, they didn't have uh, much quality of life. They felt they were thinking about ending their lives. And all three, all four of us actually, Ramda, Stephen, myself, and Stephen's wife, Andrea, independently came to the conclusion that we told people well, if you want to die, that's fine. But 
I'd suggest that you don't do it out of reactivity, that you get as, as, as conscious and awake as you can. And if you're going to kill yourself, do it with awareness, do it with compassion. Don't just do it as a, as a reactive pushing away, being caught in suffering. So what happened then was a whole lot of these people would call back and I, I didn't, none of us kept statistics about what percentage of people called back, but a bunch of them called back and they said that conversation was so meaningful to me because everybody else had been saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's wrong. That's bad. And for just one person to say, you can do what you need to do and, and I'm here to support you was very liberating. And after thinking about it and about thinking about our conversation, I decided I'd wait. And I just want to tell you how, how grateful I am that I waited because there was so much meaning in my life during this time, uh, even though I've been really sick, uh, there was meaning not in spite of my illness, but almost because of it, that I was forced to really look very, very clearly at the place in me that was resisting life. So, of course, we didn't have any double blind study. We don't know what happened to the people who didn't call back. Maybe a bunch of them killed themselves or maybe they just decided not to call back. And I think there are statistics that show that in the places in America, at least, and probably in Europe, where assisted suicide is legal, that of the people that actually do get the drugs to kill themselves, very, very few of them actually use the drugs, but that they feel a great comfort in being able to have them and yeah. be able to use them if they want to, but they never really want to do that. Uh, some do, of course. And I've worked with any number of people who have this disease called ALS, ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, it's called in America, where people die very, very slowly, often in a very difficult way. And what often happens is they gradually lose the ability to breathe and they almost drown as their lungs fill up with fluid and they almost drown a whole bunch of times. And oh. Many of these people say, I'm not going to be put on a respirator. When it's my time to die, I just want to die. And almost every one of them, when they got to that point, said, I've changed my, I've changed my mind. Put me on the respirator. I would like to stay alive, even though my life is really limited right now. So in a way, the... In a way, what we're talking about here is conscious dying and not everybody is interested in conscious dying. Maybe they're just interested in, I don't want to suffer or I don't want to have a life in which there's no meaning. Hmm. On the other hand, if uh, somebody is a seeker, somebody is seeking truth, then my feeling is there can be meaning even in a life where there's not a lot of a lot of outwardly interesting, fascinating, exciting experiences. And 
we get our meaning, we can get our meaning from very simple experience. We get our meaning from being rather than accomplishing things or accumulating things or doing things. So at the same time, it's, I don't think it's my job to talk you or your friends or anybody who's listening into saying you need to have more meaning in your life. You, you, you need to investigate. I don't think some people are ready or even wanting to do that. Uh, but to me, dying is a spiritual process. It's really learning to ask, who, I, who am I? Am I this body? If my body dies, uh, what happens to me? Stephen Levine wrote this book, Who Dies? I think it's a wonderful title. And uh, I would guess that a lot of these people who you've been talking to probably don't ask the question, is, is there consciousness that survives death? Maybe they do, I don't know. But if consciousness actually survives death, and that eventually we have to go through all of our karma, one of my teachers, Trungpa Rinpoche, said, uh, what reincarnates is your bad habits. So that if you're wanting to die because your life doesn't have any meaning and you're bored or you're tired or you're afraid, then those qualities follow you into what happens next. So you can do it now or you can do it then. So it doesn't seem that consciousness is in any rush, that there's no time frame that you've got to do it now. But at the same time, consciousness doesn't care how much it hurts. So that there's the pain of a life that doesn't have much meaning. And you can say, I want to get out of this pain. I want to shuffle the deck of cards and get a new, a new hand. Yeah, that's your right to do that. But I don't think you're really escaping your pain. I don't think you're escaping your suffering. So that I but, work, yeah. Just one more thing. I, I yeah, okay. So <laughs> I, 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 I work a lot with cancer patients. And uh, my experience and what Buddhism says is that cancer doesn't cause suffering. Resistance to cancer causes suffering. Right. So so often people who are contemplating suicide are fixated at the level of suffering rather than being able to tune into the cause of suffering. And the cause of suffering is resistance, it's attachment. So that with the proper support and guidance, then one can say, one can begin to understand, one can begin to get that, okay, I'm suffering, but it's not because of these outer circumstances. It's because my relationship, my reactivity to that. And now it's your turn, my dear. <laughs> I just have to underline this, and this is this is why this is why I I think it's one of my I think this is my purpose, one of them, to speak of this theme or topic. Because it's been come like it's been around forever, but every time I've, you know, tried to talk with people about it, 
it kind of gets shuts down. It, it shuts down because they always go to the conclusion that it's to escape suffering. And yes, for me personally, at one point in my life, it was. Um, but then I was not aware of anything. It was, yeah, before I started to wake up. Because uh, I have this, no. So it's, it's not to escape um, suffering. I can give you an example. It's, I've noticed a, a lot of people go into relationships. And I personally believe that any kind of relationship, if it's with family, friends, lovers, who, neighbors, whomever, dogs, is to exchange something. Uh, and at one point, this exchange is done. And if we are really in tune and honest, we know this relationship is over. And we know it usually when we are in a peak, when it's amazing, when it's great, when it's just beautiful. And there's this tiny voice that says, all right, you know you're supposed to go this way and that person or that group of people are going this way. But we do not acknowledge it or we don't, um, it's, it seems like we don't want to let go of that relationship because it's so great. You know, it's not logic. It's not logical to end something that is great. But what do we do then? We gradually start to to destroy each other or the place, whatever we fell in love with, whatever we had an exchange with. We start to destroy it. You destroy the relationship. So yeah, uh, or our. You know, we're trying to find faults, so it would be easier to separate. It would be easier to leave this person or this place or whatever. And I'm not saying this is for every relationship, but it seems like we have this idea that things last forever and we hold on to it very strongly. And so... I also have this feeling regarding, you know, death, that we all have this sense or this knowing that this is our time. And I also think being powerful human beings, I, in, in this great connection with, with spirit and Mother Earth and consciousness, that may, maybe we are also here to choose how and when we leave more aware now than ever that it's because it's maybe it will become this very conscious uh choice where we know that okay i'm sensing that my time is up like usually elderly people they do this but it seems like if we don't follow this inner voice, we create all these illnesses or 
I don't know. It doesn't make sense at all. Well, I hear what you're saying. And at the same time, uh, uh, in the way that you're talking about re relationships, there's a time for them to end so that you have a relationship with your mother. And that relationship is never going to end. Uh, maybe you choose not to spend time with her or think about her, but she's always going to be your mother. If you have a child, there are, there are certain relationships that you're given that that's they're going to be there for the rest of your life till till somebody dies. And often we learn the most from those relationships. Uh, marriage used to be that kind of relationship where you work through things. Now it's much more kind of a temporary thing till people get uh, people get to the point where they would like to move on. And so, I mean, I I guess what you're you're suggesting here is that just as a relationship with a friend or a neighbor or a lover can end, so can your relationship with life end when it feels like it's time to move on. And uh, I keep coming back to, hopefully in a non-judgmental way, uh, what is your motivation? What is it that you, that you really want? And in, in Buddhism, there are these mind-turning truths that I always talk about. And one of them is, you're going to die, but you don't know when. The next one is that uh, life is precious. The third one is that there's karma. And the last one is that there's suffering. And if we, if we really contemplate these, it inspires one to want to wake up now. Uh, and life is precious, even if it's not filled with happy lovers or loving relationships, or maybe the thing with your mother is not as easy as you would like. I'm not saying anything particularly about you and your, your mother. I don't really know anything about that at all. But... Uh, if, if, if somebody gets a really clear message that now is the time to end life, then uh, I guess there's no reason not to do that. But my experience that very often there is some thread of rejection, of resistance, of pushing away what one is feeling in life. I, for instance, Ramdas had a stroke and his life since then has been very limited in some ways. And yet, I think if you'd ask him, he would say that this has been a very, very rich time in his life. So uh, if we equate the enjoyment or the meaning of life with how many pleasant things are happening, that's that's one view, but I think there's a deeper view that that each moment is an opportunity for awakening. A lot of people haven't signed up for that that ride yet. A lot of people are still interested in how do I feel? Does this feel good? Can I get more? Can I can I make less? Whatever it is, and uh, the dying process itself, when we're letting go of the body, is a real opportunity for awakening. It's an opportunity for going beyond identification with that which will die. So if, if 
you are identified or somebody else is identified with only the part of yourself that's going to die, the body, the personality structure, that, and particularly if you believe that death is the end, that's the, the period at the end of the sentence of life, nothing else, then yeah, then you're not, you're not getting much out of life. Let's end it because, not because you're like suffering horribly, but it just feels like time. But on the other hand, if you feel, if you've had experiences, and I think you have, where you've been in meditative states or just states of consciousness, where there's not a you who's experiencing that, where there's a more global consciousness and awareness, uh, then we come back to life and normal life, and now there's still the body that dies. But the the pain, the, the resistance, the, what's going on in the body isn't nearly so important anymore. The first stage of enlightenment in Theravada Buddhism is you have a temporary experience of the unconditioned mind. And then you come back into conditioned existence. But even though you get angry and fearful and have those experiences again, it's always in the context of remembering that you're also everything. Okay, so that you don't take the anger and the fear quite so seriously. It's like in a way, almost like being at a movie a bit. And life is an illusion, and it's also real. It's both at the same time. So uh, I want to stay alive. I want to experience things, even though sometimes life feels stale, sometimes it feels exciting. Uh, to me, my deepest motivation is I want to wake up. I want to go beyond suffering so that I can serve, so that I can be free. And I'm not saying anybody else should have that same motivation. That's my motivation. Yeah, but I totally agree. I had that motivation for years. Not, not as long as you, though. But, but the, the, why I find this very interesting is because no matter which state I've been in, in blissful states, in joyful states, in um, peaceful states, in neutral states, doesn't matter. I've always come back to this uh, love of death or um, I think I think it would be, I don't know, I think I have this desire for people not to live in fear, not to be liberated, and to uh, live their purpose, whatever they choose that to be. And I think... Um, if we, I think it would just be more clear if we all had knew we had, we know we have, we can choose if we want to live or die, but in a more loving, compassionate way, it would be more like if, 
if we could choose, and if there was these uh, rules around it, and if you went to your doctor and said, "Hey, man, I don't, I don't feel like living," and you have these talks and you go through a lot of things, and maybe some people they just like, "Oh, wait a minute, no, I, of course I want to live. This was just, I was just depressed or, you know, feeling not so good." But then if people still want to go through with it, and then they have this conscious way of like, okay, you have three months and to get everything together, your papers, your people, and, and all of this. And I don't think people would just do it and, and regret it. it w I think it would be a conscious choice and I think it would be very liberating, not only for them, but for the people around. Because I think a lot of, it would trigger a lot of people also. And how, and I think we would see how selfish we can be, that we, we're so in love with a person, or we love some, someone so much that we would rather for them to be in some kind of suffering for us to have them in our lives. Well, once again, I really don't often work with younger people who feel maybe they want to do that, but more people with uh, degenerative disease, cancer, ALS. Yeah. And I think in that case, people are much more likely to say, oh, that's not a problem if you want to die because you're in so much pain and you're almost at the end of your life. That's okay. But what I found is that I sometimes say to people, if you want to die, it's really easy. All you've got to do is stop eating and drinking. Yeah. And it doesn't, if, if you, if you st stop eating, but continue to drink, it can take, weeks, more than a month even, depending how strong you are and how much body fat you have and things. But if you stop eating and drinking, uh, one dies pretty quickly and really painlessly. And I've had several clients who, I, we've had this conversation and they were in very difficult physical, emotional circumstances due to illness. And they, they, uh, stopped eating and drinking, and after a few days, they changed their mind. <laughs> they said, <laughs> you know, I, I can feel here, I'm beginning to fade away, and I don't want to do that. But anybody can do this. You don't have to involve the doctors. You don't have to make it all complicated and have to have pills to put in your mouth. But if, if you really don't want to live, just tell your friends that you're going to stop eating and drinking, and and uh, in my experience and what I've read and studied, that it's, it's relatively painless. There is uh, a, a wonderful movie, I don't remember the name of it offhand, about a, a doctor who had terminal cancer. And he stopped eating and drinking. His wife made a movie of this whole experience. She loved him very much. He died very peacefully. Uh,
when I had my hip replaced, I asked the doctor to not make me unconscious. I wanted to be awake when they were doing this construction project with power tools and there were drills and, and saws and there were bone particles, bone dust in the air and the smell of cauterizing flesh. And, uh, you know, I, I had a, what do they call it? A spinal. So I didn't feel anything from my waist down. And people said, well, why would you want to be awake for something that garish or that difficult? And I just thought, well, this is part of my life and it's going to be a really unusual part of my life. I, I want to experience it. And I want to experience my dying. I want to experience the time that leads up to that. Uh, and I think dying is really a sacred. In fact, I know it's it's a sacred process. It's really going beyond identification with that which is separate into identification with the divine part of yourself. And to the extent we practice that in our lives by dying into love, how much can you and I love each other? How much can you love riding on a motorcycle or eating breakfast or whatever? Then uh, physical dying is an other moment of that. But to the extent that we're resisting dying into a moment of boredom or neutrality or difficulty, then physical dying is going to be that much harder. And when you meet people who are not resisting, in my experience, usually there's a, a, a deep aliveness about them. So that, uh, and I feel that in you a lot, Monica. And I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, trying to wrap my mind around the fact that you seem so awake and so committed to spiritual development, and yet there's the part of you that thinks, well, maybe, maybe it's time to split. <laughs> maybe it's time to get out of here. You know. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Please. I really want people to live and soar, you know, and awaken and be fully who they are in every moment. And this has been, you know, my, oh, I, for everything in my life, I want this for everyone. Because you know, I've also experienced it myself. Right. You know, experienced so many sides of myself that I don't even know what's going on anymore. Okay. And it's beautiful. And I want everything I know everyone to, you know, have something similar uh, or somewhat similar. But and I also I don't I don't want what we we're talking about. I don't want this to be I don't talk about this because I want that to happen. I talk about it because I know what it stirs up in people. I talk about death because it people come to life you know, when we talk about it, it triggers a lot of things. And, but I also think it's a very important for people to live fully. I think it's very important that we talk about that and that we're honest about it and that people, people can allow themselves to talk about negative emotions and very dark, dark, dark thoughts and, without the shame, without being like, oh, 
you talk about you wanting to hear, kill yourself, oh, you have to go to the hospital. This is, this is not normal. There's something wrong with you or um, this is not good. This is what I want with the whole thing. I want people around in the world to understand that maybe everyone you know have thought about this at one point, and some maybe more than others, and some, uh, maybe there is a lot of children sitting in their rooms. Um, I didn't have this experience, but I have a feeling from what I've been witnessing around me that a lot of children sit with these ideas and they have no one to to share it with because they're afraid what's going to happen, you know, how the world is going to look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of to go to an extreme just to have a conversation about it. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think what you're saying now is something a little different from what we were talking about before, that having discussion about end of life, uh, voluntarily ending life, is very important. I, I, that's partly what my career is about. And I think that's yeah. maybe changing more quickly than it is in Scandinavia, that here we have what are called death cafes. Uh, I go around the country talking about conscious dying. Uh, Ramdas, Stephen Levine, Frank Gostaseski, Joan Halifax have been talking about these things for many years. And it is, is slowly beginning to penetrate into society. There's no doubt about that. When Ramda, Stephen, and I moved to Santa Fe, and we started the Dying Center in uh, the early 1980s, 1981, we had this feeling that within a few years, there would be dying centers in every small to medium to large community in America, and that we would be the Colonel Sanders of death, was the joke we kind of made. That's a string of fast food restaurants here in America. and. In fact, it has. There's been a lot more resistance, even here in America, even here in California, to talking about this and bringing it out in the open. But mm-hmm. it, it is happening, and I, I think though there's a real important distinction between creating an environment in which people feel free to talk about death and their fear of death and their attraction to death, uh, and you were saying before, I forget the exact term, that you've always been in love with death or been attracted to death. And yeah. uh, I don't know if that means that you're attracted to ending your life or just to thinking about it and talking about it and sharing with other people. But The, the, the power of it. Okay, well, that, that I completely, completely resonate with. And but I do think that life is precious. And I do think that every time we act with resistance, it's creating further resistance. So that, ah. Uh, yes, resistance of death, for instance. Right. And I choose to be around dying people because it wakes me up. Yes, right? Not, not because I'm morbid, not because I'm a saint, but the more I'm around death, 
the more I realize how precious, precious this moment is talking to you, talking into the microphone. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. And that's why I think it's very important to talk about because people come to life and they also like, like you say, if, if, if someone feels safe enough to, to share what's on their mind and they say like, oh, I have these dark thoughts or I think of death or I don't want to live anymore. And if, like you say, you've experienced this so many times, if, if they just can speak about it, it changes. And also, but, and also if they feel supported in it, it changes. And yeah, just to see that there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad about it. And then usually people, they just wake up to something else. And this creative energy flows through them, and then they go and they do exactly what it did, but they did it, do it with greater passion, or they find something completely different. But it's the whole, um, you know, put, putting a gun to someone's head, you know, then we suddenly, uh, we shake and we wake and we, yeah. It's, it's it's very powerful, but uh, but also I'm I'm excited about it, the whole death and process. Okay, well I completely agree with what we've been saying here at the end, and I think life without contemplating death is a shallow life. Life denying death is a empty life. And uh, I really appreciate this conversation. I'd like to remind our listeners that they can go to the Be Here Now Network website and make a donation to support this. Monica, I really enjoyed talking to you as always. Likewise. And hope we can do this again really soon. Lots of love to you and to everybody else. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.